This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Welcome to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pauze, and this is a fat-friendly space. Today on Friend of Maryland, I shared the call for papers for the upcoming Weight Stigma Conference in Berlin, Germany. I chat with Aaron McDonough, a fat activist and weight-neutral physical trainer, and I spotlight a piece from Brittany Cannon about the audacity to be loved. The International Weight Stigma Conference is currently accepting abstracts for consideration in this year's conference taking place the 14th and 15th of July in Berlin, Germany. This year, the conference is being co-hosted by the Association Against Weight Discrimination and Humboldt University. The theme of the conference is law and policy. From the call for papers, it notes that the annual International Weight Stigma Conference is an interdisciplinary event that brings together scholars and practitioners from a range of backgrounds to consider research, policy, rhetoric, and practice around the issue of fat stigma. They're accepting oral presentations and posters, as well as session proposals, including brief symposia, roundtables, debates, and workshops. They're also interested in non-traditional submissions, such as media, performance, and art. The two-day program will cover the entire weight stigma research spectrum and feature an outstanding roster of international speakers and local experts. Because the theme is on uh, law and policy. They're uh, encouraging abstracts that offer novel and fresh insights to and or existing gaps, addressing existing gaps about law and policy in the widest sense. If you are keen uh, to learn more, you can go to their website, weightstigmaconference.com, and you'll find that um, they are accepting proposals for most things through March. And if you've got questions, let them know. Joining me today is Erin McDonough, a fat activist and mental health advocate. Erin's also a personal trainer who's working to bring weight neutral approaches to the fitness nutrition, and wellness fields. Erin, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Thank you, Kat. I'm really excited. So, you know, this idea of you're an activist, you're involved in mental health advocacy, but you're also, you know, working in a space that I would imagine is incredibly fat phobic and ableist and, you know, all of those types of things. I'm just curious, um, did, like, were you a, were you, were you an activist and an advocate before you 
became a personal trainer and brought those things into your space? Or was it working in the space of personal training that kind of brought you to these other ways? Or like, I'm curious about how all of that kind of untangles. Interesting. Yeah. So um, my history with becoming a personal trainer was originally rooted in kind of the really disordered dieting and could even say exercise bulimia. So it was really disordered at first, you know, especially encouraged by our favorite Weight Watchers where, you know, they have this one-to-one trade-off for activity and food and all that shit. Um, So, you know, that was my initial introduction to the fitness world. And I I went to school for exercise physiology. um, And I was introduced to health at every size by one of my professors there. But the problem was, I was the only fat student, I was also the only one taught about health at every size, privately and away from everybody else, when of course, it should have been taught to everybody in the program. So it was while being a fat exercise physiology student that I started to realize kind of how broken the system was that did not make me break away from it. But it did make me decide as a trainer to take a more weight neutral approach to my own approach with working with clients. Um, So yeah, the personal training came first, but I was also studying psychology and neuroscience. So I always had that interest in mental health. Um, and just as I've worked on my own healing, uh, really came to be interested in how all these things interplay with each other and how fat phobic treatment really complicates, you know, our own mental health and complicates even wanting to pursue exercise or any of those kind of behaviors. Yeah, candy so, for sure. Yeah. So obviously, Aaron, the way that you think about these things is quite different <laughs> than than the way yeah. that you thought about them kind of when you were when you were first getting involved in the field. Do you find that the way that you act is also different? Like has the change in thinking also then actually changed your practice um, and and the way that you work with clients in that space? Very much. Yeah. Um, I, you know have become much more vocal about more weight neutral approaches. You know, the most familiar one to most people is health at every size. Um, And being more vocal with other trainers and health coaches and just anybody, any of those professionals and trying to branch out more into getting medical people on board with it as well. But yeah, it's uh, changed how I, um, Sorry. <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. No, no, no. That's okay. That, um, that, that happens. Uh, that, that's a very, you know, human kind yeah. of thing. Um, what I had been asking was, you know, obviously you're thinking about these things, diet culture, weight loss, um, the, what shape and sizes and abilities different bodies have and stuff has obviously changed how you're thinking in your work. And I was curious about whether or not it's actually changed your practice, like the way that you actually have your clients do things or um, those types of things. Yeah. You know, so I take what would probably be considered a much more gentle approach with clients, according to the traditional fitness world, probably considered to be too gentle 
even though it's not, you know, I think um, the fitness world just kind of mows over mental health in the hopes of achieving these aesthetic goals that really don't have anything to do with health. So I try to steer clients away from that aesthetics and all the, you know, diet culture entrenched learnings they've had and kind of get them to see themselves and their relationship with their body and movement in a much gentler light that preserves their mental health. That would be a, a, which would be a very different experience, I'm guessing, for most of yeah. um, most of your clients. Are you finding, though, that you are, now that you're kind of operating in this different kind of way, that you're, like, attracting like-minded people that are interested in getting more um, involved in exercise and fitness, but have had their own, you know, nightmare and trauma with diet culture and everything else, that um, they come to you specifically because they know you know, that you're working from a fat positive perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've heard both that, you know, they'll kind of say quietly to me that they just like seeing someone like me in the field um, and that they like having somebody who knows what it's like. And of course, you know, both in writing and in practice is very informed by my own experiences with that it's not an abstract fat phobia and that kind of treatment is not an abstract concept for me it's been my life um so yes clients do appreciate that and um you know feel more comfortable opening up about some of the things they've experienced and they know they won't get judged about it what do you think is um one of the most challenging things for people, Aaron, that are not wanting to be engaged in or invested in or even getting anywhere close to like diet culture, but that mm-hmm. are keen to um, be physically active and be making them making their bodies like feel better or feel stronger or like what to me, I can, I can only imagine that there's a lot of different challenges when you try to kind of balance that. Um, are there any in particular that kind of stand out to you or that are really common? I would say it's the mixed messaging they get from the media and the internet and their family and friends, um, you know, like that their exercise program isn't working because it's not shrinking their body. Um, you know, so sometimes that can lead to people doubting themselves, you know, so I I would say those mixed messages are the biggest challenge for people to really adopt that kind of healthier mentality and relationship with movement. Yeah, no, that makes all the sense in the world. What, um, on a similar, like on the, so to address that, I guess then like, what would be one of the, like, don't give away all your good secrets here, obviously. <laughs> um, we want you to keep the good stuff, especially cause you know, paying customers. Um, but like, what would be possibly like something that you could share with us of like a suggestion or a tip or a tool, um, that can be useful for people who are trying to navigate, um, all of those double messages and standards and everything else, in fat bodies that want to be active bodies as well? 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of things is practicing boundary setting. I know it's easier said than done, but learning about setting those boundaries that talking about my body or talking about weight loss or anything like that is off limits and, and sticking to that um, with the people in their lives and also shaping their social media and media interactions to be more representative of the real world and, um, you know, getting into fat activism, which has been a, a real game changer for me, you know, just, being more surrounded by bodies that we can relate to. That's um, those are some, some definite hits, hints and tricks. And I'm glad that you've kept some good stuff back um, for your paying clients. <laughs> Listen, Aaron, if there are people listening that are keen to, um, to talk to you more about the work that you're doing, or maybe even keen to become one of your clients, um, how can they, how can they find you? Like, where can they find you online? My website is theweightneutralcoach.com and I'm on Twitter under Erin C. McDonough um, or at weightneutralcoach, which is at WT neutral coach. Um, those are my online spaces and I have a blog on, on Medium that's linked from my website. Brilliant, Aaron. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been it's been really interesting to hear a bit more about your own kind of personal journey and the work that you're doing, but also really instructive, I think, for me and others. Because I am that person. Like I, I have never been able to establish like a, a regular exercise program that wasn't either directly a part of going to war with my body or yeah. didn't then completely unravel into me almost again going into war like I'm one of those people like I haven't worked it out yet um even though I would like to be in better physical shape than I am so I I feel like I learned a lot today and that um obviously there's a lot more that that I can learn from the work that you're doing and others like you so thank you so much for coming into this space to share um and I will look forward to learning more from you as we go forward All right. Thanks so much, Kat. I appreciate it. In the spotlight today is a piece from Brittany Cannon. It was published on VAST on February 21st, 2022, and it's entitled The Audacity to be Loved. Quote, I am an unloved daughter. Heavy, I know. It hits you hard in the gut and knocks the breath right out of you. It's a sad truth that has been with me for as long as I can remember, and I am only just now taking ownership of its impact on my life. I have never seen two individuals have more of a disdain for one another than my parents. They never stopped to consider how deeply their shared hatred of one another took precedence over the love they should have shown to me, their one and only daughter. It would be serendipitous to say I was born from love, but honestly, I'm not sure you can call what my parents did to conceive me lovemaking. I've never witnessed love emanate from my mother to my father and vice versa, my entire 35 years on this earth. That said, it remains that I was indeed born on a day synonymous with the four-letter word, Valentine's Day, 
the one day of the year when the presence of love, albeit usually in the form of flowers and candy, is inescapable. Ironically, there I came, making my way through the birth canal sometime before noon on a holiday that celebrates loving relationships, only to spend my childhood and adolescent years in a family devoid of any emotional connection. If you ask my parents today about their love for me, they would fiercely defend themselves by claiming that they showed it through taking care of me. This care consisted of only meeting my physical needs, such as shelter, food, and clothing. This type of upbringing based upon survival rather than love is common within our community. With the demands of stressful yet underpaid jobs and maintaining their dignity in the face of many inequities, many Black parents frequently reminded their children of the sacrifices they endured to provide for their families. From generation to generation, it is clear to see how the trials and tribulations of life in a racist society often left Black parents feeling depleted from fighting to survive in an unjust world, and after making it through the day, the world did not leave them with much to give us. In spite of these harsh realities, there were Black children like me who showed respect and gratitude for being taken care of, but still struggled with not having their emotional needs met. I was silenced and taught to be grateful for what I had, but deep down, all I wanted was to be treasured instead of tolerated, and I yearned for affection and acceptance. I never understood what I did to be treated so harshly by my own parents. I did what I was told. I never caused trouble or even demanded, at least not outwardly, to be loved better. While most kids' worst nightmare was for their parents to split up, I dreamt mine would divorce. Much of my childhood trauma came from witnessing my father abuse my mother. Witness feels like such a passive word for the actual experience. Even as a small child, I would try to intervene as if I could stop my father in his drunken rage. In response to his violence and mistreatment, my mother would often project her emotions onto me. I constantly lived in fear of what my father would do to her and what she would do to me. Consequently, I spent most of my life hating my father for causing such discord in our home. As a child, I desperately wanted to disassociate myself from my father and his horrible actions. I used to think that my loyalty to my mother would somehow change how she treated me. That was wishful thinking. As the years passed, it did not take long for me to learn that chubby black girls are not high up on the list when it comes to deciding who receives love and empathy. We are often taught that our bodies are problems to be solved and issues to be fixed before we can ever be deserving of love. These harmful messages came from everywhere, media, school, church, friends, and oftentimes our own families. At home, my mother's constant dissatisfaction with my weight and my skin tone reinforced all those lies I was fed to believe. On top of being lumped in with the sins of my father, my body's inability to conform to my mother's standards felt like yet another reason I was unlovable. But I had to unlearn that. I had to uproot all the lies that tried to settle in me as truths. I had to restructure my self-talk to now come from a place of love and not criticism. I had to realize that my parents' incapacity to love me was no reflection of me and my worth as a human being. I may never receive a sincere and honest apology from either of my parents, but I had to get to a point where I was okay with that. It's a journey I'm still on. In the words of Oprah, 
What I know for sure is that growing up as an unloved daughter was not my fault. For the longest time, I felt ashamed about how much my childhood still affected me as an adult until I discovered that I was dealing with effects of having a mother wound and a father wound. I was astonished at all the information and research on how deeply childhood trauma affects who we become as adults. I soon realized that I was not alone and that I had the power to heal those wounds. Even when those chubby black girls grow into fat black women, the world still tries to keep us low on that list of who deserves love. But we are more than deserving of all the love this world has to offer. All the pleasure, joy, happiness, peace, and comfort, too. So often, fat black women are the ones who must be available for everyone else, also known as the mammy role, and settle for one-sided relationships and friendships. No longer. We reserve the right to be audacious when expressing how we want to be loved. Additionally, we do not have to reach a goal weight or ideal body shape to be worthy of love. We exist, and that makes us worthy already. Now I am in the process of learning how to reparent my inner child. This is a concept that takes some getting used to. Trauma is held not just in our minds, but in our bodies as well. It is not as simple as letting go, and healing is a mind, body, and soul experience that happens repeatedly throughout our lives. This process has taught me to give myself grace as I learn. More than ever, becoming a wise and loving parent to myself is what I strive towards. At the end of the day, self-love is of the utmost importance. Bell Hooks, considered by many to be an expert about love and who is now a great and beloved ancestor, sums this up perfectly saying, one of the best guides on how to be self-loving is to give ourselves the love we often often dreaming about receiving from others. End quote. Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Maryland. Friend of Maryland is brought to you by Manawatu People's Radio, triple nine AM. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmaryland at AOL.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Closing the show is heart with What About Love? I've been lonely, I've been waiting for you, I'm pretending, and that's all I can do, the love I'm sending ain't making it through to your heart, you've been
If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.